right, it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening live over at Joy620, or you're listening to the podcast at Google Play, iTunes, Podbeam, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. We have a lot to talk about today. Uh, as we look back, I think it's important with the first segment, we're going to focus on 9-11, and we're going to talk about uh, kind of the what's happened to the country over the last, into the world over the last 20 years. We're going to look at President Bush's remarks uh, in Pennsylvania uh, that were amazing. Uh, we're going to we're going to look at kind of where we are. We're going to look at what happened in Afghanistan. So the first segment, what we're going to talk about is is focused on 9/11, and then from for the rest of the show, we'll get into some news uh, dealing with abortion and life that uh, that I think is important that we cover. But let's start with it's hard to believe 20 years ago 9/11 happened. Now. Uh, for, for many of us, uh, for most of us, it's probably if you're listening to the show, I don't want to make assumptions, uh, you probably were alive, uh, during 9-11. And, and so, you know, the, the thing to do every single year is where were you? And we try to remember and we try to think back to those days and those times. And, and I've said it on here a number of times and I've, I've said it on other shows as well and other places that uh, I was a senior in high school, uh, in Cornersville, Tennessee and, and, uh, small town, and 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 so the what happened there was the what happened in many places. Uh, we came together. I, I drove a truck, and I immediately put a flag, American flag, in the back of that truck. Uh, you still see some folks doing that today. Uh, so I had American flag in the back of my truck. Everybody that day was concerned: Are we going to be able to get gas? Everybody went and got gas uh, for their vehicles. Uh, even in my small town, churches opened their doors up for uh, for prayer. And so people came from uh, from all over the place, unchurched people, church people, uh, denominations came together uh, to pray for our nation, to pray for the safety of our, our country, to pray for those that lost their lives in New York, uh, those that lost their lives in the Pentagon, those that lost their lives in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, just the, the, the crazy things that occurred. And you saw a, a country that came together. You, you saw... Uh, for the first time in a very, very long time, the skies were, were, were silent. No airplanes. And, and then you had a concern of, you know, when, when we do get planes back in the air, who wants to fly? And then you had the profiling and, well, we know who took these planes down. So if we see people that look like those people, we're, we're going to think something. Uh, then you had uh, President Bush throwing out the pitch at the New York Yankees game and everybody cheering and, and one of the greatest moments ever in the history of this country uh, as sports brought the country back together. Uh, you, you saw uh, laws go into place with the Patriot Act and with, with different things that occurred that changed our lives forever. You, you saw the TSA and uh, everything. Homeland Security was created. Homeland Security was created. We didn't have that organization. And then I watched a documentary uh, a couple days ago. That, uh, it's on Apple TV about 9-11. And, and you just see the things that were put in place. The FBI were told, hey, in the past you were told to go after those after the crime was committed to figure out who committed it. We know who committed the crime. The, your goal now, your mission now is to prevent this from ever happening again. I mean, things changed. Now you have metal detectors and your search before you go into large gatherings. 
Flying in airplanes looks a lot different. You take your belt off. You take your shoes off. A lot of things change in 20 years. Uh, but but I remember even even in my small town we had uh, we had events. I, I emceed an event and, and was able to pray uh, at a large event for soldiers and their families. And you just think about the what went into and what happened following 9/11. And a lot of people have said, and I think rightly so, 9/12 is a is a time we we wish to go back to. Now, why is that? It's because the day after 9-11, it seemed like everybody was on the same page. It seemed like we were unified. Now, politicians over the last 20 years have called for unity. Politicians have called for unity since the beginning. But sometimes it falls flat. But when those towers came down, when we were cleaning up the rubble in at the Pentagon, when we were looking at the rubble in Pennsylvania of the plane that went down, there was unity. There was people coming together, Southerners saying we're all New Yorkers. West Coasters saying we're all New Yorkers. And what has happened? Social media is one of the things that, that kind of has created a divide Amongst our, our country, we already had a division. We had division even leading up to 9-11. Think back to that election. George W. beats Al Gore. Some people say he didn't win. You ever heard that before? So President Bush didn't have a amazing approval rating going into 9-11. Then it happened and his approval rating goes through the roof. And then a few years later, it's back down because why? We've created division again. And so we, we think back over the 20 years, we think back of the lives lost, the, the families that have been impacted. And, and I'm just thinking about George Bush's remarks over the weekend. And I just want to read some, some, um, snippets from, from his speech. And he said this, on America's day of trial and grief, I saw millions of people instinctively grab for a neighbor's hand and rally to the cause of one another. That is the America I know. At a time when religious bigotry might have flowed freely, I saw Americans reject prejudice and embrace people in Muslim faith. That is the nation that I know. At a time when nativism could have stirred hatred and violence against people perceived as outsiders i saw american reaffirm their welcome of immigration and immigrants and refugees this is the nation i know at a time when some viewed the rising generation as individualistic and decadent i saw young people embrace an ethic of service and rise to selfless action that is the nation i know this is not mere nostalgia it is the truest version of ourselves it is what we have been and what we can be again 20 years ago, terrorists chose a random group of Americans on a routine flight to be collateral damage in a spectacular act of terror. The 33 passengers and seven crew of Flight 93 could have been any group of citizens selected by faith. In that sense, they stood in for us all. The terrorists soon discovered that a random group of Americans in an exceptional, is an exceptional group of people. Facing an impossible circumstance, they comforted their loved ones by phone, braced each other for action, and defeated the designs of evil. 
These Americans were brave, strong, and united in ways that shocked the terrorists, but should not surprise any of us. This is the nation we know. And whenever we need hope and inspiration, we can look to the skies and remember. I've thought a lot about that plane and the men and women on that plane that were slowly figuring out. Again, this is before social media. So none of those people on that plane had Twitter or Facebook or or anything letting them know what was happening around the country. So they're on this plane and they're calling loved ones and they're saying, we've been hijacked. One guy says he has a bomb. And this is Flight 93, and they're they're concerned about what's happening. They don't know. There's other planes that have been hijacked. They don't know at this time that, that the towers have been attacked. They don't know that the Pentagon has been attacked. They don't know that the country has decided to to land every airplane in the country, except for Air Force One. And why did they do that? They They landed every plane so that they could figure out and assess how many planes have been hijacked. If we tell every pilot to land, then we can get a sense for, is it four planes? Is it five planes? Is it 20 planes? Because at that point, they knew we were under attack. The people on Flight 93 had no idea. All they knew in that moment in time, our plane has been hijacked. There are terrorists on board. One says he has a bomb. They have box cutters, and they've made their way into the cockpit. That's what they knew. So they're calling loved ones. A woman is calling her husband and her husband is telling her, hey, we're under attack. The Twin Towers have been hit by airplanes. The towers are coming down. The Pentagon has been hit. And then you have another fella calling and he's talking to dispatch and and she's walking him through everything that's happening. He's saying, you've got to be kidding me. And he keeps the line open as As passengers on that plane are trying to figure out what we need to do, at this point we know America's under attack. At this point we know this airplane is one of the missiles, quote-unquote, one of the missiles these terrorists are trying to use to take down the most powerful country in the nation. And Condoleezza Rice was quoted as saying, every plane in the air at that moment in time on 9-11 became a missile. And so they're trying to figure these things out. And they're talking through. And they're talking to the FBI now on this open line of communication. And this man says what I think a lot of men would want to say. Tell my wife I love her. Tell my kids I love them. And I'm proud of them. And he's getting choked up and he's trying to to put words together because he knows that his time is short. I don't think in that moment he thought, hey, we're going to overtake these terrorists and we're going to be able to land this plane. I don't think that was the case. I don't think I don't think they thought, hey, we're going to figure this out. We're going to figure this out and we're going to safely land this plane. I think what they thought was. If we don't do something. This plane is going to crash in to somewhere that they ha- that the terrorists have targeted, and it's going to take out thousands of people. That's what they thought. And so as they're having this conversation, 
as they're walking through this, as they're talking to the FBI, as they're talking to uh, a number of different folks trying to figure out what the next step steps are, the, the passengers say, hey, we got a group of us that, that have decided. We got a group of us that have decided to do something. We're going to do something. We're going to we're going to attack the hijackers. We have minimal weapons in terms of uh, uh, we have this, we have that, whatever we can find on the airplane. We're going to attack the hijackers and we're going to make sure this plane does not crash into the White House. We're going to make sure this plane does not crash into the U.S. Capitol. And if you've read the transcript this week of that phone call, of the phone calls, plural, it's heartbreaking as dispatch prays over the person and people on the plane, knowing this is it. And then you hear the, the or, or you, you read the last words or let's roll. It's like telling the passengers, here we go, let's do it. And so in that moment, they weren't concerned. Hey, is everybody in this group on this plane a, a Republican or a Democrat or an independent? Did you vote for Bush? Did you vote for Gore? What's your thoughts on tax policy? Hey, are you a Yankees fan or a Mets fan? You like the Steelers or the Cowboys? You see, they weren't concerned about that. Oh, you, you the Vols or the or Alabama? What? No, they weren't concerned about those things. In that moment in time, they were Americans, unified together, willing to sacrifice everything to save thousands of people. And so as we think back to 2001, 20 years ago, think about those that that ran toward danger, the first responders at Ground Zero, the first responders at the Pentagon, and not just for first responders, but there was a number of civilians that saved a lot of people in in the towers, getting them out of the building. Think about the lives that were forever changed that day. And think about the unity that was shown on Flight 93. People that came together in a moment in time, some would say randomly, others would say chosen, for that moment and save thousands that's why we don't forget that's why we keep their memories alive because it showed a better part a better side of us and I hope that better side of us will continue we'll talk more in a, in a sec there ain't nothing there ain't nothing gonna steal my joy I gotta know so I wanted to reflect in the first segment on 9-11 because I think 20 years is, is important. It's crazy. It's crazy that, that it's been 20 years. I mean, it's insane to me that um, I was always told when, when I was young, you know, because when you're in school and, and you're growing up, you're like, man, time takes forever. Time's so slow. The school year takes forever. And, and I was always told by older folks, just wait. When you become my age, time flies. When you have kids, time flies. And it's crazy that it's been 20 years. It's crazy that I have a child that's 10 years old. My oldest. It's just, it's just insane to think about. 
because time does fly and, and we get caught up in, in the things of the world and things that are going on. And, and, and what happens is we miss those moments. We miss those special moments. You know, there's times that even this weekend where I was getting frustrated with my kids and saying, hold on, go away. I need to do this. I need to do that. Or they're asking, hey, can we go ride bikes? And I'm going, not right now. I got other things to do. Hey, can we play baseball? Not right now. I got other things to do. I'm busy. Leave me alone. And then I think about the folks on Flight 93 that knew in that moment. They knew right then and there, I'm never going to get to see my wife, my husband, my kids again. I'm never going to get to see my mom, my dad, my grandma again. I'm never going to get to see my brother, my sister, my cousins again. I'm never going to get to see my best friend again. You think in those moments they were thinking, man, I, uh, I'm glad I, I said I was too busy. Were they thinking in those moments, man, I'm glad that I didn't take the time to ride bikes with my children, go on that date night with my spouse, throw ball with my son. I don't know, man, it's heavy. It's heavy. And so even in those moments when I find myself saying I'm too busy, I don't have time, I can't do that right now. In an instance, all that can be taken away. At Thanksgiving this year, how many seats are going to be empty at your table because someone is not going to be there because of death? I mean, that, that's stuff we got to think about, folks. And so as we're hitting the grind and, and doing all these things and being busy and filling up our calendar, who are we doing that in? Who, who's being hurt by that? Look, we got to we got to do take care of our responsibilities. Don't get me wrong. But what's the goal? Who's being hurt by the fact that we want to fill our calendar up with everything? Or when the, when the child looks up at you and says, "Put your phone down," I can't be the only one that gets told that. That's convicting. If you're about to take your last breath or you're thinking, man, I wish I had one more second to scroll Twitter. Or are you thinking, I wish I had one more second to throw ball with my son. To have a tea party with my daughter. To go on a date night with my wife. Hopefully, the 20-year anniversary of 9-11 gave you some time to reflect. Maybe we need to make some corrections. Make some changes in our lives. I hope you'll do that. Let's shift gears right now and look at some news going around concerning abortion, especially in Texas. That continues to be a hot topic, not just here, uh, not just in the pro-life movement, but but across the country. There's an article over at National Review talking about it. and saying the enactment of the Texas Heartbeat Act has exposed the pseudoscience undergirding the worldview of abortion rights supporters. Heartbeat bills such as the one in Texas are predicated on the fact that an unborn child's heartbeat can be detected via ultrasound at about six weeks gestation. For a movement that defends abortion on the grounds that the unborn child is not human or has no claim to rights, the scientific reality poses some difficulties. An enormous number of the justifications for legal abortion are detached from science, declaring the fetus inhuman or not a rights-bearing person on account of its as of yet undeveloped or underdeveloped mental or physical functions. 
The argument for legal abortion prior to viability, for instance, rationalizes abortion before about 20 weeks gestation on the grounds that the unborn child's lungs are insufficiently developed to allow for survival outside the womb. Therefore, on this view, that child can be killed prior to such development because it remains dependent on its mother. Why this logic doesn't allow for the killing of newborns or adults who are on ventilators typically remains unexplained. Philosophical justifications for abortions follow a similar pattern. In her famous 1973 essay arguing that abortion is morally acceptable, philosopher Marianne Warren asserted that it is wrong to kill persons, but that not all human beings count as persons. Under her criteria for personhood, consciousness and capacity to feel pain and ability to reason, self-motivated activity, capacity to communicate, and self-awareness, Unborn human beings do not count and therefore can be killed. Critics have noted that Warren's criteria excluded additional categories of human beings too, not just the unborn. Many rationalizations for abortion are far less sophisticated. Take one, for example, that suggests that a fetus isn't human until it is born, as if the birth canal magically confirms humanity on an organism that mere seconds earlier possessed the exact same qualities as the crying newborn. This is the case for abortion at its most illogical. But the heartbeat bills have brought out a particular stark variation on this theme. In response to the fact that fetus develops a heartbeat early in pregnancy, indicating its individual human body undergoing development, abortion rights supporters and their cheerleaders have turned to euphemisms and obfuscation. Reporters have begun regularly placing the word heartbeat in scare quotes describing it with exceptionally odd phrases and running entire pieces dedicated to exposing the, quote, fake science of fetal heartbeats. In a piece called Heartbeat Bills Get the Science of Fetal Heartbeats All Wrong, Wired Magazine describes the heartbeat as, quote, cardiac rhythm, fetal cardiac activity, and my personal favorite, a cluster of pulsing cells. The article goes on to quote abortionists, billed as medical experts who describe the fetal heartbeat as a, quote, group of cells with electrical activity, and, quote, fetal pole of cardiac activity. The last phrase, which sounds a bit like something out of a horror movie, becomes so popular among abortion activists that actress Alyssa Milano demanded that the press refer to all heartbeat bills as, quote, fetal pole cardiac activity bills. Time Magazine obliged Milano with fetal cardiac activity. The Guardian updated its style guide on the advice of Uh, American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, a powerful abortion lobby disguised as a medical group. Citing the group's statement that ACOG does not use the term heartbeat to describe these legislative bans on abortion because it is misleading language, out of step with the anatomical and clinical realities of the stage of pregnancy. That's nonsense. Uh, That's my quote, not theirs. The New York Times chose the pulsing of what becomes the fetus heart. And embryonic pulsing, New York Magazine's The Cut ran a piece called Embryos Don't Have Hearts, referring to the heartbeat as pulsing cells and dedicated to debunking the unscientific notion of a fetal heartbeat. What is detectable, it says, at or around six weeks can more accurately be called cardiac activity, says Robin Schickler, OBGYN and fellow with Physicians for Reproductive Health. The difference between cardiac activity and heartbeat may seem uh, minimal, but Schickler and others argue otherwise. At this stage, she says, what doctors can detect is essentially communication between a group of what will eventually become cardiac cells. Now, hear this. When you're, when you're having an ultrasound and someone looks at that heartbeat or cardiac activity or pulse that they say, what does that show? That shows there's life. 
That's what that shows. That shows it's a good pregnancy. That that gives a, a sense of hope and comfort to the mom and dad as they expect their baby. You see, when, when they're laying on the exam table, they're not being told, hey, it's just pulsing cells. It's just a blob in there. Uh, so I don't know why you're getting excited. It's just a blob of tissue right now with some cardiac pulsing that's happening. Uh, we don't really know. No, of course that's not how they're talking to people because they're talking to people because it's a baby. They're getting an ultrasound because it's a baby. They're excited because it's a baby. They're nervous because it's a baby. They're scared because why? It's a baby. It's a human life. If it was just a clump of cells, why are they nervous? Why are they, why is there anxiety? Why is there fear? It's just a clump of cells. No, everyone knows it's a baby. So all the emotions that come because of that is because it's a life and it's a baby. But yet, we as a society want to say otherwise. And, and those articles that quote OBGs, OBGYNs, the, the ones that they're quoting are full-fledged abortion supporters. When 75 to 80% of OBs across the country do not provide abortions, why are they not interviewing them? It's almost as if they have a narrative they're pushing. We'll be back. So as we continue the conversation, look, the, the this last segment as I was talking about what is happening with abortion and the conversations around it, what you'll see is major publications that claim to be unbiased and have no agenda, journalists that claim to be just that. Hey, we're just journalists. We have no opinion. Are changing language. It's that simple. So when we say it's a heartbeat, now they're saying, man, it's not really a heartbeat. It's a pulse. It's cardiac activity. It's this, it's that, it's everything but a heartbeat. Now, why are they saying that? If, if the, if the support for abortion was as strong as they would like for you to believe it is, why would they have to change any of the language? Well, they're changing the language because they, when we hear heartbeat, we think life. So, so if I, if I fell over right now and was unconscious and Dave ran in here, and then they called the first responders and I'm laying here unconscious. What is the first thing they're going to do? They're going to check my pulse. If there's no pulse, that means there's no life. Oh no, we need to do something. Something. We need to start doing CPR. We need to start trying to get him back. We might need to shock him. If they check my pulse and it's beating, oh, there's life. We still probably should do some things, but it's not as involved. So when there's a heartbeat, there's life. When there's not a heartbeat, there's no life. And, and these major publications that are interviewing folks and that are, that are citing doctors and they're, they're citing medical professionals because look, we, we got to respect the medical professionals. We got to respect the medical organizations. Even though Around 14% of OBs around the country actually perform abortions. Now, if you would read these articles and you would watch the news and you would read the paper and you would, you would hear all that you're hearing and, and hear from politicians on the left, you would think 
that 75% of OBs are providing abortions. That's not the case. Why is that? Anyone got a good answer? We, we, are we going to interview the doctors that, that choose not to perform abortions? We going to interview them? We going to get their opinion on the, the topic? If, if I went in, if my wife was pregnant and I went in and sat down with an OB and that OB said, now let's not get your hopes up. That's not a heartbeat. That's a, just the pulse of cardiac activity. I would immediately, and I'm not exaggerating. I would say we're leaving. We're going to go see a doctor that, that believes that there's a life growing inside my wife because I want a doctor that wants to take care of the life growing inside my wife. Here's the thing though. Doctors aren't going in that room and saying that without an agenda. And doctors aren't going in the room and saying that because they know it's a heartbeat. Folks that are providing ultrasounds aren't saying it's just a pulse. I I mean, you know, cardiac activity, we wouldn't call it a heartbeat. No one's saying that. But, But we're supposed to live in this silly time where we have silly conversations and silly arguments based on pseudoscience. That's not helpful. And then you wonder why we struggle to encourage people to do things for their health. Because we should be pro-science sometimes and anti-science other times. It doesn't make any sense. There's no consistency by anyone across the board. So, so first it was, it's a blob of cells, it's a blob of tissue, not even a human, not even a baby. Don't get your hopes up. And now what we know is a heartbeat, we're going to say it's something else. We're just going to change the language to say it's something else because you know what it is. And, and we want people comfortable with the fact that they're ending the life of their child. So, so if we're going to get them comfortable with it, we need to change the language. It's nonsense. And my goodness, it's frustrating. I mean, what a time to be alive. That, that publications, major publications, people that are educated have four years, six years, seven years of college education. They've gone to the best media schools in the country. They learn from the best and, and most equipped professors in the country. They've paid thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to go to these schools. And then they sit down at their computer and they type out that it's not a heartbeat. It's a fetal pulse. It's not a human. Then they'll walk out of their office after typing that article and go to a baby shower of a friend. While they're typing that article, maybe a friend sends them a text and says, guess what? I'm pregnant. Oh, congratulations. Or do you think they write back? I mean, it's just a, oh, you saw the heartbeat? It's not really a heartbeat. It's just a fetal pulse. And and that's not really a baby that you're excited about. It's just a blob of tissue. So I'm not real sure why you're you're messaging me. Of course they're not doing that. You see, we write from a 30,000 feet view. 
And we debate from a 30,000 feet view. And we say these nonsensical things from a 30,000 feet view because abortion is the golden calf. And it's the right that trumps all rights. And if you want to take that from me, then clearly you hate women and you're the Taliban. You know, that's what they've been calling pro-lifers. That's what they've been calling pro-lifers in Texas is the Taliban. Did you know that over the weekend, Taliban was, they're flogging women in Afghanistan right now. Flogging them. Murdering them. Abusing them. All the folks in Texas and and all pro-lifers want to do is protect the babies in the womb. That's it. That's it. It's not from a hateful place. It's not from an angry place. We believe that life begins at conception and we believe that every life deserves protection. That's what we believe. So it's like I said last week, of course, we're going to craft legislation when we have the opportunity that protects that. And if you try to make the argument that it's not a human you're going to look silly and nonsensical because that's what it is. That's a silly and nonsensical argument. If you're going to say it's not a heartbeat and it's just a pulsing activity, you're going to look silly and nonsensical because that's a silly and nonsensical argument. You can't out of one side of your mouth say be pro-science and out of the other side of your mouth say it's just a blob. Yeah, that, that doesn't work. And so as we have these conversations and as we read these articles, as you read these articles, note the way they talk about it. And they're doing that for an agenda. They're doing that because they think abortion is the be all end all. You see, but what they don't understand is abortion is a billion dollar industry. So it's interesting to me that the same people the vast majority of those that are that are staunchly pro-choice and pro-abortion, many of them are anti-capitalism. Yet, the abortion industry is a billion-dollar industry. And I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. If you believed, if you believed that abortion was the be-all, end-all, and was the right that trumped all rights for women, then you wouldn't charge a single penny. Planned Parenthood spends millions of dollars every month on advertising. They spend millions of dollars every year on elections. They lobby. They fight. They they have no problem raising money on this issue. Yet, they charge for abortions. Why is that? Or you have states like California or New York saying, hey, taxpayers are going to pay for these abortions. You have folks in Washington claiming that that taxpayers across the country should pay for abortions. We have the Mexico City policy where our country pays for abortions other places in the world. You don't need tax dollars. If you believed it was a calling, because I've heard people say that. If you believed it was a calling and abortion is the be-all, end-all, 
then you would say, come one, come all, and we're not going to charge you a dime. But they'll never do that. Because if they do that, then the billion-dollar industry is no more. You see, at pregnancy centers, we don't charge a dime because we don't want to create obstacles for women. We want to be there to help them. We have patients come in that say, I can't afford an abortion. Now, do you think those abortion, uh, the abortion industry is saying, oh, well, that's okay. We'll take care of it. Of course they're not. Now, they're trying to get you to pay for it. They're trying to get pro-life taxpayers to pay for it. They're trying to attack pregnancy centers. They're trying to, to, to do everything they can to create a scenario where people that are staunchly opposed to abortion have to pay for it. But at no point are they saying, look, we believe this so much, we're going we're gonna to offer it for free. No, they're not going to do that. Why not? Because it's a lot of money. A lot of money. So the question that needs to be turned on them is, how, is this about an ideal and a value system, or is this about money to be made? It seems pretty clear what it's about, but, but we, we should allow them to answer that question. They won't. We'll be back. So as we finish up today, hopefully, hopefully, you know, just like I say every week, hopefully this has been fruitful. And, and look, as, as we continue to have conversations about abortion, whether it be the Texas law or the Mississippi case that's coming up in the Supreme Court in October, whatever it is, we have to do so from a rational and logical standpoint. And it is rational and logical to seek to protect the unborn child. That's rational and that's logical. What's not rational and logical is is changing language. Like literally saying, hey, we're no longer going to call it a heartbeat. We're going to call it something else. We're no longer going to call it a baby. We're going to call it something else. Because when you start changing language, well, we know what you're doing. You're doing that because you have an agenda, and this will make it a little easier. So when we do polling questions, we'll say, you know, at six weeks, there's only a some cardiac activity. There's only a pulse. And I would bet you that even when people hear that, they go, cardiac, that's a heart. So what is that? Because everyone that's hearing my voice right now and everyone that will never listen to my voice, at one point in time in their life, were in a womb at six weeks gestation and there was cardiac activity. Like, Do you understand that? So this isn't an anomaly. This is literally what happens with everyone that's living. Everyone that's walking the planet today at some point was in the womb at six weeks gestation and their heart was beating. It doesn't matter if they come from a rich family, a poor family, if they were a wanted pregnancy or an unwanted pregnancy, if it was due to rape or incest. It doesn't matter the situation. If you are walking the planet today, at six weeks gestation, there was heart activity. Period. So it would be different if we're going at six weeks. We don't know what it's going to be. Is it going to be a cow? Is it going to be a horse? Is it going to be a dog, a cat, an alien? We have no idea. Guess what, folks? We know what it's going to be. A human. And you know how I can prove that? 
Okay, sit down and open your eyes. Look around you. Everybody that you see right now proves that. Look in the mirror. The person looking back at you proves that to be the case. Period. But yet we want to have these nonsensical debates on is it life, is it not, is it a heartbeat, is it not. No, it it is. It is. We all know that. Everybody knows that. It's pretty clear. That's why if you go to Ground Zero today and you look at the names that are listed of the lives lost, the ones that we're supposed to remember, go to Ground Zero, look at the names listed, and you'll find there are a number of folks, mother and unborn child. Now, why would we take the time to remember and honor a mom that lost her life in the 9-11 attacks? Why would we take the time to remember the, the blob of cells that she was carrying? We take the time to remember that because it's not a blob of cells. It's a human being. Like, folks, this is, this is insane what we are doing. It's insane. No one in the committee would have said, hold on, folks, we can't honor the unborn child because it's not really a life. It's just a blob. So what are we doing? Of course not. Because everyone knows that it's a baby. And everyone knows that it's tragic that a mom lost her life while carrying a baby. It's the same reason why Todd Beamer on Flight 93, when he was talking with the uh, the person at dispatch, he said, my wife's pregnant. And I'm so excited and I'm not going to get to see that child. Folks, in his last moments, literally minutes away from death, he wasn't saying, you know, I want to make sure you tell my kids I love them. Don't worry about the blob that's growing inside my wife because that's not really a human. No, in the last moments of his breath, he's choking back tears and saying, and my wife is carrying my child. Let's not be crazy. Let's be logical and rational about these discussions. And it's important that we recognize Every life has intrinsic value and is worth protecting. And that's what we seek to do as pro-lifers. That's what we seek to do at Hope. That's what we seek to do at pregnancy centers across the country. That's what we seek to do in legislation. That's what we seek to do in the gospel work of churches. That is what we're seeking to do is that life would be celebrated because it is worthy of protection. We'll talk to you next week.